Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aisha Rashid and Vera Kovacevic. Thank you for coming today. So happy new year to everyone. It's just now 2023. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're just going to go over three food and beverage industry trends for this coming year. Um, and, uh, you know, looking back at the last few years, the food and beverage industry has undergone its fair share of change. Um, demand underwent a dramatic shift in favor of retail over food service during the COVID-19 pandemic. We saw meal kits and home delivery skyrocketing in popularity. And today the global economy is in this state of flux and companies are learning to adapt and operate under this sort of new paradigm that we have. Meanwhile, technology continues to advance and become more central for both how consumers live their lives as well as the ways that companies overcome challenges and innovate. And while there remains a lot of uncertainty, it's also an exciting time as there are opportunities for growth across all food and beverage sectors, but it will take a keen understanding of the various factors at play to attain success. So um, as we enter the new year, many of the lessons learned about habits formed last year will continue to shape the food and beverage industry in the coming year. So I'm going to break down the top three food and beverage industry trends to look out for this year. Um, and in doing so, um, I'm going to go over, you know, I, I spoke to two experts to hear their insights and expectations and predictions for this year. So um, I'll introduce them in uh, very quickly. So the first one is that we're sort of in this next generation of plant-based. So previous years, we saw unprecedented growth for the plant-based food and beverage industry. In 2021, sales reached $7 billion, which represented a 27% increase from two years prior in 2019. And moreover, plant-based foods grew by almost 2.5%, sorry, 2.5% faster than total food sales from 2018 to 2020, according to the Good Food Institute. However, last year, plant-based alternatives didn't have that breakthrough year that a lot of experts had predicted in 2021. This could partially be due to the recovery of the traditional meat industry or the crowded nature of the plant-based alternative space or just the lack of differentiation among the most prevalent brands that we see like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods. So what does this coming year have in store for plant-based foods? One uh, of the experts I spoke to was Bradley Sachs, and he's the president of Mainline Foods, which is a contract food manufacturer that produces both U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, and USDA food service and retail food products. So he says he doesn't see it being widely adopted in its current form. So he said, it's a tough product because if you're a vegetarian, most likely you don't want to eat meat. So why would you go eat a fake burger? It's not a cheaper alternative. And if it does become a cheaper alternative, I could see it definitely having a large market share than it does today. But in its current form, it's not. So we'll see what happens. However, somebody else that I spoke to, um, Michael Sanguinetti, he is a personal and private chef as well as the business development and market specialist at Intuit, which is a luxury on-demand dining platform. He says that we're entering this 
quote unquote next generation of plant-based. And this generation will focus on more chefs and food makers getting creative with vegetables and making them more of a star instead of just using meat substitutes. So he said, consumers are realizing that these meat substitutes have a lot more ingredients in them. They are not simple. A lot of salt, heavy stuff. I think there was a stigma for a long time with plant-based. You could have a ribeye versus a carrot and everybody's like, well, I'll take the ribeye. Now there's no stigma. It's just part of menus that are being created. And TasteWise, which is an AI-powered food intelligence platform, pointed out in its 2023 trend report that while plant-based that while the plant-based category is often at the center of conversations about sustainability, people eat plant-based for personal health reasons 16 times more than for sustainability concerns. And this report finds that plant-based diets are becoming more popular with alternative dairy and meat showing higher interest when consumers talk about health. So if consumers are more interested in plant-based diets for personal health rather than sustainability concerns, you know, then what does a realistic sustainable food system look like? But we, before we get to that, I just wanted to get your guys' opinions on, um, you know, this notion that we might be seeing vegetables, like raw, pure vegetables, rather than, um, you know, meat substitutes, um, plant-based meat substitutes in the next year. Personally, um, I would love to see that. I think, I think this generation of plant-based, um, is, is maybe what a lot of Mm plant-based eaters already subscribe to. Um, but I would really love to see that because I think this year sort of highlighted that, uh, you know, something that Chef Sanguinetti said, which is that a lot of, um, plant-based meat products, they're not simple. They, they have a lot of ingredients. Um, they're highly processed. They're not as healthy as people think that they are. And if we do see this shift to using, um, you know, whole veggies instead, um, which can taste absolutely incredible when they are cooked, you know, in, in certain ways and even just plain, um, I would really love to see that. Um, so, so what are your thoughts on that? I agree. Yeah. And I'm really excited to to see this new wave or trend um, in the next year and beyond, because that was my initial idea as well. When I when I first heard plant based or when it first became a thing many, many, many years ago. Right. It was kind of like, um, all right, so I'm going to actually see the vegetables in my patty. And there were, you know, I've had the best you know, veggie burgers I've had is where I've actually been able to see like the vegetables in there and and things like that, or black bean burgers are like one of my favorites because, you know, um, it's the vegetables. So when you had all of these substitutes, like with soy protein or, or pea proteins and okay, sourced from obviously plants, but, you know, just like concocted and processed in a way where it just, you know, becomes like unrecognizable as to what it is in, you know, like the dire hopes of trying to emulate meat, I think things just got kind of murky there. Um, So like, and yeah, there's so much that goes into processing uh, to get to a point where you want to make it look and taste meat-like. And I think um, for a lot of people, like, yeah, like myself, like that's not necessary. I think for a lot of people, they're not looking to emulate meat or to get that taste. It's just to have an option that is plant based that that is vegetables and um so i'm excited to see this new trend and uh, i've been seeing it recently too like you see simpler ingredients and plant-based um things in the stores now and um yeah that are not soy based or anything else so it's it's cool and i think uh, i'm looking forward to this yeah i also think that what um the person you interviewed 
taxed. But he said, like, if you're a vegetarian, let's say, or a vegan, like, why would you go and have yeah. a veggie burger? <laughs> you know, I think the veggie burgers, they were, they were invented to like, um, I guess, uh, for people who like recently switched away from eating meat mm. or just people who do eat meat but want to try something new. I don't think they were made for like the hardcore people who are vegetarian, you know, or vegan. It's like, why would they want a taste of meat? <laughs> a veggie burger, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I th that's why I think your predictions make a lot of sense, like logically speaking. Um, so I was happy to hear that because there's only so many different ways you can make a veggie burger, I think. Or, or yeah, whatever it, it is. Uh, the what else is yeah. there? There's the veggie burger, and then there's the like uh, chicken, no vegan or plant based nuggets <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, there's a whole slew of things. I mean, for almost every real meat, there's a meat there's, alternative, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Made with various different, um, you know, flavorings, fillers, preservatives, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and that's a common theme throughout all of these alternatives. Is that like, yeah, they're really not simple. Whereas your whole pure raw vegetable is simple um and we know mm -hmm. that it's healthy um usually depending on how you dress it up um but i think and and this isn't like a new thing either we've had we've had like you know for example portobello mushroom yes burgers. i was just like, thinking that i was just thinking th that. those yes. those are, yeah those have been a thing for so many years and i would love to see a comeback of of things like that or or you know like carrot fries or or uh, i mean fries are vegetables to begin <laughs> with, but you know just just using vegetables in in different carrot ways. fingers um, <laughs> or tenders yeah yeah or i i cauliflower wings mm -hmm. you know um things like that where you're using the whole vegetable um those things are i i often love those things mm -hmm. um just as much as, as meat and they can be just as filling yeah. as meat um so that is certainly one of my favorite predictions and i i really hope that we we see a play out more uh, in the coming years so back to uh what i was saying a little bit before what you know what does a realistic sustainable food system look like um, now, in the last five to 10 years, there's been this growing movement on the part of consumers to shop more sustainably when it comes to personal and planetary health. And since food production and the subsequent waste um, account for a really large percentage of greenhouse gas emissions, sustainability in the food industry is becoming more of a necessity rather than an option. So Sachs said regarding some of the sustainability practices at his company, Mainline Foods, he said, we've seen a lot of consumer interest in some of our sustainability practices and we've become a little bit more transparent in what we actually do instead of just doing it we're showing it we're putting it on the package we're talking about it so what does a realistic sustainable food system look like in practice Zach says that it's an ecosystem. It's not just about buying recyclable cardboard or using fuel-efficient methods of transportation. Rather, it's all the way from inception to end product, and that often starts with sustainable farming, from cows to cod to corn and everything in between. And to Sanguinetti, less is more. So he said, the more we practice sustainable farming and fishing, the more consumers can actually say, this is a high quality product from start to finish. You can trust your farmer, you can trust your rancher and your fishmonger that they're giving you the best product because if they didn't, then you wouldn't buy them. 
And Sachs has already seen this theory come to fruition in his company's airline food and beverage business. He said, we've seen this, um, sorry, we've seen our airline customers, uh, a big push on focusing on regional locally grown items that still hit a price point because everyone's so price conscious. So finding local farmers that are raising animals in a sustainable way or raising in a sustainable system, that is key. So when it comes to the food service industry, Sanguinetti believes that this coming year will be the year of, of smaller menus. As a lingering result of the COVID-19 pandemic, the, logis the logistical complexities and cost to have extensive menus is not as realistic as it, as it was pre-pandemic. So he said, I think in the next five years, we'll see all restaurants disclose which farm their food came from and even which person picked it out of the ground. I think it's going to become a trend where even fast foods are going to be like, this is where we got our lettuce from. And he thinks it's going to be a good thing. So in 2023, this coming year, both Saks and Sanguinetti expect to see a change in demand for brands and products that are produced in sustainable ways or that significantly reduce their carbon footprints. And one way companies can do this is by upcycling excess uh, food to minimize waste. So Saks says that Mainline has already designed a system in which its excess bagels get sliced, baked, and turned into chips. By cutting down on food waste, companies can also ensure that they are not wasting energy, resources, or money. So this is another, you know, excellent and, and hopefully a trend that will uh, that we'll actually be seeing this year. Um, and I could not agree more with what Sachs said about, um, you know, sustainability being an ecosystem. It's, it's really not just one thing. There's, there's so many components, um, to food production from start to finish, um, you know, in the supply chain. And in order to, for us to have a sustainable food system, every part of it, you know, has to incorporate something. Um, and we're, you know, we're getting there. It's, it's still going to take a while, in my opinion. Um, but I really appreciate all the steps that companies um, are taking to become more sustainable. So, yeah, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, on this? Like, how attainable and achievable do you think, like, a realistic, sustainable food system is in the next, like, five to ten years, let's say? Well, I think it could definitely be improved, uh, you know, I don't know if it will be like fully sustainable in five years or even 10 years, but I think it could definitely will be improved. Um, I also found it interesting what you said about like the restaurants disclosing which farm their food comes from. And I remember we were talking about if we go into the grocery store, will they tell us like where the food came from, right? The, the food traceability rules and all of that stuff. And, and, and then we concluded that no, in the grocery stores, they wouldn't be that transparent, but maybe in the restaurants, they will. Maybe it'll be like a catch, like, oh, we got it from, I don't know, the, one of the best farms in the country. Yeah, I mean, even um, it, it's always special to me when um, restaurants or, you know, smaller groceries, let's say, or markets like it's it's like an it's like a connection almost that you have now with with your the food provider um, that you don't get in like, you know, an everyday situation. I remember seeing a picture of a uh, either a carton of milk or maybe maybe a, 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 a thing of yogurt that actually had like the names of the cows on it in which the dairy came from. And I thought that was like, that was so beautiful. So that was so sweet. So and that sweet, was such yeah. a, you know, a nice tribute to yeah. like the animals um, and the farm that it came from. So yeah, I, I, I really think, and, and 
unfortunately what comes with that usually is a bit of a heftier price tag but i do think that um consumers might be willing to pay more maybe not all the time but but maybe some of the time um for those more specialty like local hand-picked um items um at least in restaurants because because it's very special and those connections you know you don't get them all the time so and I think it's all about those connections. Like, that's so well put. Like, you know, we all talk about, like, being connected to, to the earth and connected to our food is, like, such an important uh, part of that. And I think uh, moving towards more sustainability will allow uh, for that where we can know the names of the cows where our milk came from, <laughs> which I think, again, is so sweet as well. And um and yeah, I was thinking the same thing in terms of like, it may come at a premium in terms of higher cost, but people might be willing to pay that. And it, and like, like you said, it doesn't have to be all the time necessarily or, um, but any bit will help definitely from, um, you know, shifting over from what we were used to before in terms of just mass production, blind mass production without any regard, um, for the environment or the integrity um, of animals and everything involved in that. So I think just having this level of awareness and that continues to grow is really important. And it's, um, you know, so much comes into play with ethics and um, for the environment and for animals and for everything and everything is connected. So I think it's, it's really great. Um, Yeah. The person you interviewed, that was a great thing that like, you can't dissect out any one step or process or component. Everything is so connected and um, to make changes all across the board at each step is important. Now, our last final prediction for the year is how social media and tech savviness are going to um, continue to play into the food and beverage industry. So I think more than ever now, we have... um, and um, like mass amounts of food and beverage content available online. And so naturally the landscape of marketing in the era of social media is changing and, and has changed. And now for the last decade, food and beverage companies were able to use social media platforms without spending an exorbitant amount of money on marketing, um, especially compared to traditional marketing. But Sanguinetti says that uh, social media has become an advertising and information dump that consumers are being inundated with. So he said, I think marketing is trending away from social media where restaurants need to get more native and actually go back to, I wouldn't say fully traditional, but something close to it. So I think there's more native stuff starting to be blended back in, especially with restaurants. It goes into experiences too, where people are not just eating anymore. They want to really be part of something. So the food industry is continuing to move away from traditional dining experiences in favor of more immersive and interactive experiences. And this trend is being driven by several factors, including the increased popularity of TikTok, which we've talked about so many times, in which users share their unique dining experiences with millions of viewers, as well as a desire to get out and see the world after a couple years of lockdowns and restrictions. And while it is likely that the food and beverage industry um, will continue to use a combination of traditional and social media marketing, Sanguinetti says that tech savviness will be crucial for chefs, companies, restaurants, and the entirety of the industry. So he said, I think we're in a great transition in the food industry and tech, especially if you don't understand how tech, all tech from robots to delivery services work, you're at a disadvantage. As a chef, if you don't uh, know these things or as a farmer or restaurateur, if you don't really grasp how tech's going to affect you in the future and you just let it continue, it's going to run you over. 
So to which technology is he referring? Well, this could be everything from advancements in, um, you know, ag tech with innovations like crop rotations to improve soil health and optimize nutrients to food traceability technology to improve safety and prevent foodborne illness outbreaks. And in food packaging, Sachs says that Mainline is working with a tech company that can transform its plastic purchasing to recyclable oven heat proof type containers. So, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about um, food startups uh, with really interesting tech um, uh, in, in the last year, especially. Um, and we're always so amazed uh, about what these companies are doing to innovate. Uh, and I definitely agree. I think that everyone working in the food industry should have a good idea of, of how tech is going to continue to change, um, you know, their, their jobs and just the industry in general. Um, and one thing that I didn't mention, but that we, we talked about Sanguinetti and I is that, you know, tech is not something to fear necessarily. It should definitely be embraced. Um, but tech can also be integrated into, um, you know, classic experiences as well. Um, him and I were also talking about that. He thinks we're going to see sort of a push for like more craftspeople and trades in the food and beverage industry, including like a resurgence of traditional like butchers and bakers. Um, but these traditional, uh, you know, methods of, of, of enjoying food, um, there can still be tech integrated in it. We don't have to go back to, you know, decades ago. We can still continue to uh, integrate tech uh, into all aspects of the food and beverage industry. Um, but one thing I did find interesting that he was talking about was that, you know, he didn't, he wasn't all in favor of, of social media marketing and he thinks that it's, it's becoming a little too much. So what do you think about that? Um, do you think he has a point? I, I definitely see his point. I see his point too, you know, as someone who's kind of been a critic of, of some of the things that we've been seeing on TikTok. Um, yeah, I think just because the uh, the longevity of it and also like sometimes um important info also gets lost um in translation i feel on social media a lot of the times um which may be ironic because the whole point is to have these short you know messages but um sometimes it's like not the right message that goes out or maybe it's a it's a case of broken telephone somebody might attach something else to you know um like you can like what is it called um not string together, but like create stitch together together videos and somebody might misconstrue something there. So it, it can just like uh, blow up in the wrong ways sometimes some things and then people can uh, like, yeah, just use products and things for creating like just erroneous and bad trends. And so I think, um, yeah, those kinds of factors kind of make me wary about social media sometimes. Not to say, I mean, you, you just can't ignore it because like we're all on it, but um, I think it really needs to be used carefully. And the other thing is because it's so public, like anyone can get their hands on anything and again, like do anything with that, right? Manipulate it and, and do and whatever. So I think, um, yeah, I kind of agree with him that it's, um, it, we've seen a lot of food trends on social media, of course, in 2022. Um, some have been very cool, right? innovative recipes and using ingredients in different ways, but there are dangers to it as well. I think like love it or hate it, um, food companies and food businesses just have to work with it. Um, and to, you know, it's like so many people are on social media. You have videos gaining a million views. 
we just don't have those kind of views on TV or print advertisements. It just cannot match the number of eyes on something. So in my opinion, I think there's two types of people and they were shown by the people that Sydney interviewed because one person was kind of like, oh, I think we should go back a little bit more traditional. And the other person said was more for social media. And I think there's really those two kinds of people. Catering to both is extremely important. But I think just as Gen Z gets older and, you know, there's a newer generation. Like <laughs> My we turn just, to TV. <laughs> we, I think we just need to use social media more. Gen Z is getting I, older. <laughs> yeah. I I do I do agree. It's kind of like a, you know, what that love it or hate it. Like we can reach like almost the entire world with social media, but but then there's a difference between like quantity and, and quality, quality of yeah. people that you're reaching as well. And one thing that, you know, Chef Sanguinetti and I spoke about was that um these like native methods of, of advertising, like, you know, uh, really getting to know your, your customer base and, and offering them like a free coffee or something and, and, and sort of getting out and, and like, that does work in many ways. Like word of mouth marketing Mm -hmm. is like such a tried and true thing, but, but it's not, for every company it's it's truly not for every company he obviously has more of a focus on on restaurants as well and i completely understand what he's saying there um but yeah i mean i i agree with both of your points like it's it's a unavoidable method of marketing these days but yeah it can also be like way too much information and and just like it may not be used properly like it can be used very easily and cheaply which means that it may not be used to reach, um, you know, the right audience. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see, uh, where, where tech will, will take us in the food and beverage industry and, you know, whether social media will just ramp up or whether it will like fade a little bit out, but we will see. Uh, once again, I want to wish everyone a happy new year. Um, and that sort of concludes the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. So if you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media. Email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.